Good morning. We're going to be reading Psalm 51. And it is the song of what a repentant heart sounds like. The Psalm of David. For the director of music, a Psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls would be offered on your altar. Thank you, Kim. Good morning, everyone. On this uh, last day of 2023, uh, I think it's good for us to be reminded of one of the really important aspects of the Christian life, which is repentance. So let's pray as we come to God's word this morning. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sustained us through this year and that your grace is new every morning. Nevertheless, Lord, we are aware of our own sinfulness and failings. And so as we come to the end of this year, please speak to us through your word, by the power of your spirit, about this important topic of repentance. 
cause your word to come alive in our hearts and give us wills and give us lives that are in conformity with you, that we might live to your glory and to our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, I thought today we might finish up the year by doing some pruning in the garden of our souls. Just as many people like to tidy up around the house this time of year, get rid of the rubbish, that sort of thing, I thought today it would be good for us to do some spiritual tidying by looking at the topic of repentance. In Psalm 51, David teaches us from his own personal experience how to repent. Sometimes repentance can simply mean to change your mind. It can be a smaller thing, like I thought I'd have scrambled eggs today, but I repent of that, I'm going to have an omelette. But that's not what they we're talking about here. This kind of repentance is far, far deeper. It means, as it said in the kids' talk, really, to turn away from sin and turn your whole life, to orient your whole life to God. And David is saying in this psalm, take heed, lest you fall as I fell. But if you fall, when you fall, this is how to turn back to God with godly repentance. You see, here's the thing. Repentance and faith belong together like two wings on a bird, and hence the picture up there. You you may say to me, I have faith in Jesus. I believe in his death and resurrection. Okay, good. But Jesus also said, unless you repent, you also will all perish. Repentance is an essential part of the Christian life. Faith without repentance is like a bird with a broken wing. It'll never fly. It'll never fly. Any Christian who is comfortable with his or her sin and is happy to live with it is a very sick and sorry Christian. So please, beware of complacency which can so easily creep in. Take yourself to God in prayer and learn from all that David is teaching us here in this psalm about repentance. Because godly repentance is not an option for the believer. It is a vital response to sin. Without it, you will not see God. But faith with repentance is life-changing. It brings healing and cleansing and joy to the soul. And it brings a renewed relationship and friendship with God. But it also and always arises out of a godly sorrow, a deep awareness and reviling of ourselves and our sin. Like the tax collector who prayed, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. We see that same sentiment echoed here. Lord have mercy, I know what I've done. I know that I've offended you. I don't want to ever see this sin in my life again. I'm sick of it. It only brings me misery and shame. I hate what I've become. I'm terrified of what I might yet be. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. David, King David, certainly caused himself a great deal of pain through his king-sized sin. And I want to start here this morning. A king-sized sin. 
Matthew Henry says, it's a pity that we should ever need to do anything else when we pray except to praise God. But by our own sin and folly, we make much work for ourselves, especially in the area of confession and repentance. So my first point today is David's king-sized sin. And this sin is actually mentioned in the pretext of the psalm, which Kim read out for us. It didn't appear on the uh, screen as it was being read, but it's here for you now. It's the pretext to the psalm. It's actually the first two verses of the psalm in Hebrew. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. This was David's king-sized sin. It happened in the springtime when kings usually go off to war, but David stayed at home in Jerusalem. And with all that free time on his hands, it was his undoing. He allowed himself to be tempted. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. Probably he was having trouble sleeping, so he went for a walk on the roof. And as he was there... He saw a woman bathing and suddenly his flesh was on fire because she was so very beautiful and he lusted after her. So he sent his servants to find out who she is and to bring her to his bed. He thought to himself, I'm sure I could get away with this until she fell pregnant and sent word to the king saying, I'm carrying your child. Hmm. (laughs) Now David had a really big problem and an even bigger desire to cover it up. At first, he tried to get Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to come home and sleep with his wife and make it look as if the child was his. But when that didn't work, David became desperate. He even arranged Uriah's untimely death by giving instructions that Uriah be put in the heat of the battle. It's terrible to say, but David still didn't repent. Can you believe it? No sooner had Bathsheba's husband Uriah died than David took her and married her and then got on with life as though nothing had happened. This was David's king-sized sin, and it was a catastrophe Uriah was dead, lives had been ruined and Bathsheba was now pregnant, all because David couldn't control himself. And Uriah's blood was now on David's hands. He was not only an adulterer, but he was a liar and a thief and a murderer too. And for David, this almost became the new normal until the prophet Nathan came and accused him to his face. I guess Nathan, though, must have had a very sleepless night as he tried to think of what to say to the king, how to breach this subject, a very difficult subject to raise with a king. But in the end, Nathan had the courage to call a sin a sin. And that really is what saved David's soul. Nathan said to David, you are that man. It's you. It's you. In response, 
David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And he began to cry and he put on sackcloth and he fasted before the Lord because he knew that he had failed big time. And God's purpose was to take the life of Bathsheba's son. At last, the full burden of his guilt, the accumulation of all that sin fell upon his shoulders and he began to pray like he'd never prayed before. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Blot them out. David's first plea to God is a summary of the entire psalm. He cries out to God for mercy because he knows the scale of his guilt. He knows the depth of his sin. And he prays to God for these transgressions to be blotted out, that is, erased from the record. Lord, I cannot do anything to pay this debt. I come to you empty-handed. I'm a sinful man. I know it. But Lord, Lord, you can cross it off so that it no longer stands against me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Can I say, in light of David's confession, the world needs more Nathans. The world needs more Nathans. We need more friends who aren't afraid to call sin a sin. You know how it is, even in the ordinary things of life. When a, when a friend quietly pulls you aside and lets you know so that you don't embarrass yourself, hey, you've got bad breath this morning. Perhaps you should you know, rinse your mouth out or, or your skirt's on crooked or, or your fly isn't done up. That's helpful, isn't it, when somebody tells you that. I, I have to confess, I once preached an entire sermon with my fly down and nobody said a thing. I hope it was because nobody noticed, but honestly, I think it's more likely that people are just too embarrassed to say well, if there's a next time and I have a senior's moment, my fly is down, please tell me. Save me from my embarrassment and I promise I'll do the same for you. But how much more important then is it to keep one another accountable in life about our sins? To be able to say, go back, you're coming the wrong way. To be a friend like Nathan was to King David. That's friendship, isn't it? Nathan didn't make a big scene of it. He spoke in confidence just to the king. But he said what needed to be said. He called out David's sin. You know, a faithful reproof is the greatest kindness. And you'll know a friend because they have the courage to speak to you in that way. So now I have just three more points I'd like to share with you today about repentance and restoration that come straight from the body of David's prayer. I'm going to talk about David's humbling, David's heart, and finally David's hope in the rest of today's psalm. God is now dealing with David in his sin. And isn't it good that David has given us this psalm as a kind of window into his most private and painful thoughts so that we can learn from his mistakes, so that we can learn from his example and so we can learn how to repent 
for ourselves from those sins that plague our, our own hearts and lives. So then first, David's humbling, verses 3 to 6. With nothing left to hide now, and with his integrity in tatters, David is free to confess this truth about himself and fall upon the mercy of God. It's not easy. I never said it was easy, but it's good. It's good and it's necessary because this is how God cleanses us, washes us clean, restores us to himself when we have gone astray. This is the power of confessed sin. David has been thoroughly humbled before God and man. He feels ashamed and alarmed, I would think. He hates his own sin. He hates what he's become. And he's now urgent to confess everything to God, starting in verse 3. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Like a videotape playing in the mind. David had ruined his reputation in the most spectacular way. And I guess for him it must have been even harder to acknowledge his sin because of who he is. He's the king of Israel. He's the leader of the nation. He's supposed to be the good king, the godly king, the man after God's own heart. What has he done? How do you reconcile this? What will people think of him? when they find out what David's done. I kid you not, when you look at all the things David did after he committed adultery and tried to cover it up, it turns out this is actually the largest single collection of sins committed by one believer in one go in the Bible. That's what one commentator suggested. Interesting thought, isn't it? One believer doing all these bad things in one go. One sin led to another, which led to another, which led to another, which led to another. It's like he, he bowled one ball down the alley and took out all the pins. Bathsheba was David's perfect strike, but not in a good way. Anyway, it's not David's reputation that matters now. It's God's. One thing we all need to remember when it comes to confessing our own sins is that God already knows everything. What can you possibly think that you can hide from God? He knows anyway everything that you've done, your thoughts, your desires, your attitudes, the things that you've done in secret, he sees and knows all about. It's not like we can hide anything from him. So when we sin, we need to come before him and talk to him. For it's only God who can deal with us graciously and help us to turn our lives around. It begins with God. It flows out then into the relationships with those that we've affected. The healing, the reconciliation and the peace that comes from repentance is powerful. But we've got to start in our relationship with God. And yes, that can be scary, but it's liberating because it takes away that mask of hypocrisy, the double dealings that we do, and it allows the truth to land where it will. And this leads to the kind of godly repentance that we can see expressed here in verse 4. David says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. David freely admits the immensity of his own moral failure with Bathsheba. 
And he rightly accepts that the buck stops here with him. A big part of confession is taking responsibility for our own actions. What David did displeased the Lord. And we just need to think about that. It displeased the Lord. David abused his power as a king. He abused his power as a man. It wasn't Bathsheba's fault that she fell pregnant. It was David's. And this is something he well knows. And that's why he now pleads for God's pardon in his life. And this doesn't mean, by the way, that his life will go back to how it was before. Sometimes we wish we could just hit the reset button and everything would go back to the way it was before. But that is not a fair or reasonable expectation. Yes, our sins can be forgiven, but they can't always be undone. Things will be harder now for David. But at least there's no more secrets. He can't go back, but he can move forward. He can move forward with the Lord. Verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Now when repentance comes, it comes often like a flood like this. As you can see, just all pouring out like a flood of emotion that you've tried to hold back for for so long but when the dam breaks out it flows and when you start to surrender to God God's spirit rushes in and the tears of repentance flow the fact that David is able to humble himself and own his own failures speaks volumes of the man's character Despite all he's done, he says, yes, it was me. I did it. And I repent. I confess and I come to God and I lay my life before him that he might deal with me as he will. See, the trouble with sin is it's not just what we do, but it's who we are. It's who we are from birth, as David says here. Sin isn't just out there, it's in here. We're born in sin, sinful at the time of our birth. We're conceived in sin. It goes back to the original sin of Adam and Eve. We're we're part of a family of sinners. But we have a Lord and a God who can deal with that and draw us near in Christ. Yes, we are fallen creatures, and there is no one who does good, not even one. And yet there is one who does good, and that is Jesus, the sinless Saviour. But he must come to us, and we must receive him when he comes. So God gives us the wisdom to know our own failings, and also the desire 
to want to recover, as it were, that original innocence. We, we don't want to be what we are, and we don't want to undertake that rebellion against God, which is a part of us. We have that desire. In the book of Genesis, sin is described as an evil force that enters the world. It's satanic. It's a spirit of rebelliousness and unbelief with which we willingly cooperate, but then we find ourselves being corrupted and possessed by it. That's the trouble with sin. You can't conquer it yourself. Only God has the power to do that. Which brings me to my next point about David's heart in verses 7 to 12. David is saying, I need a new heart, Lord. It's not enough just to have my past sins forgiven. I need a new heart. I I need to start afresh with you. A clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that desires the things of God. So in the next part of our psalm, David is asking God to be that open heart surgeon. Look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And then comes the best bit of all, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David is not saying he's going to do anything here. Everything actually is a request that God do something in David. David is asking for God to work in him this miracle of redeeming grace He doesn't say, Lord, give me the hyssop so I can cleanse myself. He doesn't say, give me the soap so I can wash myself. Because the cleansing of sin doesn't work that way. It's more like open heart surgery. Good luck if you want to try open heart surgery on yourself. Okay, you want to give that a go? I don't think so. It doesn't work that way. Strangely, the world seems to think maybe it will. But David knows better. The cleansing of sin is something that only God can do in us and for us. David can't create a clean heart in himself, but God can. David can't blot out his own iniquities, but God can. David can't restore the joy of his salvation, but God can restore it to him. And only God can. Because Jesus is the curer of our souls And he will gladly cleanse your soul, cleanse your heart if you're willing to ask him. He'll give you that new, pure heart. It's not about you getting right with God, although that's what we want, but actually it's about God getting you right with himself. See the difference? What we want is to be right with God, okay, but then we can't do it. It's about God getting you right with himself and submitting to that work in your life. So then, David is now absolutely focused on the Lord 
because he knows that it's God's initiative alone that will achieve the transformation that he desires. In fact, the word create in verse 10 is the same word the Bible uses in Genesis chapter 1 for the creation of the world. And David is talking about God's special creative power. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Create something only God can do. I want you, Lord, to do that in me. And in this miracle, the Spirit is also specially present. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Again, in verse 12, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. A true repentance begins with a godly sorrow. It acknowledges our transgressions and it accepts the consequences of our sinful actions. And then repentance brings our lives to God for him to heal us. A clean heart, a steadfast spirit, the hope and joy of our salvation. So we come to the last part in David's prayer concerning David's hope. He's working through his confession and his repentance. And now we start to see the fruit of it working out in his life with his faithfulness and joy in the Lord restored. David's thoughts now turn to the future. What can I do to glorify my God for all the goodness that he has done for me? And David's promise in verse 13 and what follows after it is the answer. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. What you have done for me, I can now be useful to you in sharing the good news so that others who have fallen can follow this example. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. And that's what happens when those wings of repentance and faith begin working together. The soul is lifted up and new horizons of hope begin to emerge. The one who has been forgiven now preaches a gospel of forgiveness to others. The one who has received new life now preaches that new life to others. In verse 14, save me from blood guilt, O God, the blood of the guilt of the death of Uriah. Save me from that, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. The guilt had almost closed David's lips. It almost stopped his prayers. When we have unresolved sin in our lives, it kills prayer life, doesn't it? pushes us away from God. We don't want to come near to him. We're afraid to, to own what we've done, to to repent of our sins. Guilt had almost closed David's lips and almost stopped his prayers. But now David will not be silenced. In fact, I think you'd have trouble shutting him up. His experience of God's grace thrills his heart. His tongue is set free to proclaim the praises of the Lord. The mercy of God's forgiveness increases his desire to share the good news with others because they also need to bring their lives to the throne of God and experience the healing and blessing of God's forgiveness for themselves. See, a mark of true repentance is the outworking of that repentance in a renewed fruitfulness in ministry, sharing the hope that you've received with others and leading them to Christ as you have also found him faithful. So let me ask you today, as we finish the year, is there any sin or transgression in your life that you need to repent of today? 
as we look forward to the year 2024, on this last day of 2023, I invite you to use this opportunity to settle your accounts with God. Because godly repentance is a powerful motive for love and good works. Satan would have us to be divided from God and from one another. But David prays, O Lord, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. Listen to this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Those are beautiful words, aren't they? Take them to heart today. All God ever asks of us is repentance and faith. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's not in his character to reject those who are humble and who own responsibility for what they've done. These words are music to my ears and I hope they're music to your ears as well. Isn't it good to know that we worship a God who welcomes sinners, even sinners like us, and restores us to himself in Jesus' name? So I urge you now to examine your own heart before God this morning. If there's anything you need to repent of, bring it to God today. Don't delay. Bring it to the Lord. He won't reject you. When you settle your accounts with God this morning in repentance, you will know the freedom that that brings, the peace with God. When the the burden of your guilt is taken away and your heart is purified and your hope is restored, and now when the call to worship comes, you will join with God's people with a joyful heart. Verse 18, in your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on the altar. Now this is Old Testament language, but you get the picture, don't you, of of a worship, a celebratory, joyful worship before the God of heaven and earth. And so today, I pray that God will bless his church in the year ahead, here in Burwood and around the world, but particularly here in his congregation this morning, that through our repentance, the joy of our salvation will redound to the praise and glory of our God and that ministry in 2024 will bring delight to the Lord and to us. So I thought I might finish today by reading to you the words of the Westminster Confession of Faith because the Westminster Confession, if you don't know what it is, it's a statement of faith that really underpins the Presbyterian Church. It's a wonderful document and provides in chapter 15 a wonderful summary of everything we've just been learning about godly repentance today. So I'm going to read the first five paragraphs to you. Paragraph 1 of chapter 15. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. That's the two wings of the bird. What was the first thing that Jesus preached? Repent and believe the good news. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. That is a great statement. The second statement is the longest. Let's have a look at it. By it, that is repentance, by it a sinner, 
from the sight and sense not only of the danger but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavouring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Now there's a lot in there, isn't there? But isn't that what David experienced? The sense of the danger and peril of his actions and the filthiness and odiousness of what he'd done, contrary to the, mercy, to the, to the holy nature of of our holy God. But then as he sees the opportunity of grace presented to him, and as he grieves and and hates his sin, he nevertheless turns to God and finds forgiveness. The third one, although repentance is not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. The bird won't fly if it's got a broken wing. It is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Paragraph 4, as there is no sin so small but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. There is no sin too big for God to deal with. We find the answer to this in Jesus' death on the cross, don't we? That atonement for sin, the blood of Jesus poured out in our place to wash us clean. And then finally, therefore... Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavour to repent of his particular sins, particularly. In other words, one by one. So then, how do I repent of my sins today? Let me summarise. Number one, be honest about your sin. Don't deny what you've done. God already knows. You can't hide it from him. Be honest about your sin. Number two, accept responsibility. Whatever the consequences, own them. Pay the speeding fine. Apologise to the person you've hurt. Accept the rebuke. Say sorry and mean it. Number three, confess fully. Name your sins to God. As it says here, endeavour to repent of your particular sins particularly. Confess them one by one. What did you do today that dishonoured God? that hurt your fellow friend or person that you upset or sinned against, more to the point. Confess fully. And then, out of that, prayerfully depend on God's mercy, embrace God's forgiveness as he embraces you, and guard yourself against future temptation. And may God bless you richly in the year ahead as you stretch those wings of repentance and faith in 2024. Let's pray. Ah, Lord God, thank you for this workout today. Thank you that you are a God of incredible patience. You are holy and you are just. But in your justice, 
You have laid the immensity and the odiousness of our sins on Jesus. And Christ Jesus, you took the penalty for what we've done so that we can be forgiven and restored into fellowship with you. This is an amazing grace. So, Father, please take us today and use us to your glory. Wash us that we might be whiter than snow. Purify us. Restore us to yourself. Help us to take in all that David has taught us today about how to repent, that we ourselves might be a repentant people and that in our repentance we might have the joy of our salvation ever more clearly set before us, that we might share that joy with those around us now and always. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.